1 Timothy chapter number 1. Of course, you knew where we were headed. We finished the second section of the chapter. Uh, personally, I see four sections, four divisions to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. I'll remind us a little bit of the very little of the first two sections, and then we won't cover all of uh, the second section. As a matter of fact, we'll cover, um, he who hath ears to hear, we'll cover two subpoints under our main first main heading. And so then we'll stop there, whatever time that is, and we should be finished before 8 tonight, and then we'll try to finish it next week. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, you'll remember verses 1 and 2, we've talked about, really labored the well-established bond that connected the two brethren, Paul, the aged, the apostle, with Timothy the younger. 30 years separates them, but because of the cross of Calvary, they are very close. Um, so much so that when Paul is facing death, uh, he sends to Timothy and he says um, uh, he wants him to come see him before winter. And we don't know if Timothy got there. We don't know if when he got there. Uh, we don't know if he got there before he died, that is. We don't know if when he got there, Paul was still living, or when he got there, Paul had already been beheaded by Nero. But they were very close, about 30 years in age separated the two, yet they walked step in step in fellowship with each other. So just to read those two verses and be reminded, verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. In verses 3 through 11, there's an obvious work in which Timothy is to engage in, and that is preaching the word. And he is to be espoused to sound doctrine. And what that will combat is false doctrine, false teaching that's being uh, taught in the church at Ephesus. In our prayer room, there were a couple of weeks here recently where some of our men, that's the bell they rung, was the bell of sound doctrine. And I so appreciated it. As a matter of fact, I've spoken to some of my preacher friends scattered about, uh, about the burden of some of our men and for sound doctrine. I so respect that and appreciate that. But you remember we, we said in verses 3 and 4, there's a storm to be weathered. Verses 5 through 10, there's a flock to be fed. In verse 11, there's a gospel to be preached. Now watch this. Verses 3 and 4, there's a storm to be weathered. People don't give up easy on their false doctrine. Fables, he'll mention, and endless genealogies. Sometimes things can be very endless and pointless. And that's the idea. Watch verses 3 and 4. There's a storm to be weathered, Timothy. Verses 3 and 4. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, it wasn't all, it's just some of them, some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed, heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Then he says in verses 5 to 10, the heart of it is that there's a flock to be fed. Watch what he writes. Verse number 5, there's a goal to be rem remembered in it all. Verse number 5, he stated his goal right up front in this section. Now, the end of the commandment um, is charity. That's our goal, Timothy. That's what we're preaching for. It's what we're teaching for. The end of the commandment is charity, the love of God. How will it be displayed? He says, out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. 
He says, from which some, having swerved, they've darted, they've turned aside unto vain jangling, idle chatter, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Then Paul lets us in on what they're teaching. They're teaching a salvation by good works and law-keeping. Watch verse 8. He says, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous man, but for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. There's a storm to be weathered, there's a flock to be fed, and there's a gospel to be preached. Verse number 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. That brings us to this section, this third section, which is verses 12 to 17. Paul gives us here in verses 12 to 17 a personal witness um, as he tells us about uh, God saving him. He tells us about who he was and what he was prior to salvation. And, uh, and he tells us about, uh, he gives us a word of doxology before he finishes. Watch verse 12, 12 to 17. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. It always is, isn't it, child of God? The grace of our Lord is always exceeding abundant. Not just abundant, but it's exceeding abundant. It's not just plenty, but there's more than plenty. It's not just enough, but there's more than enough. Um, I was thinking today, I went over an old mailing list. I used to put out a trifold. Some of you received it. Uh, put out a trifold for a couple of years. We had the radio program sounding forth the word. And I'd put my schedule. I'd write a devotion. I'd put my schedule. And um, uh, I don't know. I, I know some of you received it. Two or three of you received it. I was looking over the old mailing list. There's so many of those saints that I sent those out to monthly that are now with the Lord. If you could telephone heaven, and we don't believe in those songs, it says telephone mama, and we don't believe in all. Y'all don't sing that, do you, Donald? <laughs> you lit up like a Christmas tree over there, brother. I didn't know if you sung those songs. But if you could telephone those saints that have gone on, you know what they'd say? If you could ask them to describe their life on earth once they met Christ, they would tell you that God's grace was sufficient every step of the way. Every step of the way. If you could ask them what's going on over there now, they'd tell you God's grace is sufficient here too. He is the God of all grace over here, just like it was back down there. So he writes about, in verse number 14, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love. You see what accompanies God's grace? Exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, he says, and worthy of all acceptation. In other words, it's worthy of acceptance by all. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He said, now I'm number one on the list. He says, of whom I am chief. He says, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, 
for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You ever heard somebody say, boy, if, if, if God could save him, he can save anybody. Or if God could save her, he can save anybody. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I was the worst of the worst. And he gives us his resume back up in verse number 13, doesn't he? We won't get to that verse tonight. But he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I did harm. I meant to do harm. I set out to do harm to Christians. And I did it. And I accomplished my goal. I was known as a persecutor. But he said that uh, he was a pattern. God, once he saved him, used him as a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Verse number 17, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen means truth. Now verses 18 to 20, just to read them. He says to Timothy, there's a warfare in which to engage. He says, this charge I commit unto thee, uh, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before on thee, that thou by by them mightest war a good warfare. There it is. Holding faith and a good conscience. This is the second time he appeals to the conscience in this chapter. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So verses 12 to 17 here a personal word of witness from Paul. It's a word of thanksgiving from the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, let me divide under these three headings of a May. In verse 12, verse 14, and verse 15, uh, we have a testimony of gratitude for, Paul's, uh, for God's working in Paul's life. A testimony of gratitude uh, for God's working in Paul's life. Verse number 13, a testimony of Paul's wickedness before he came to know Christ. Testimony of Paul's wickedness before knowing Christ. In verses 16 and 17, there's a testimony of God's witness through Paul's life. Um, Look with me, if you will, at verse 12, verse 14, verse 15. We'll take verse 12 first, of course. Verse 12, the Bible says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Verses 14 and 15. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Verse number 12, there's a, there is a, a profound gratitude that comes from the pen of Paul. Verse number 14, there's God's abundant grace extended to Paul. And verse number 15 Christ's sufficient gift in dying. He came to save sinners. He came to die for sinners that lost people might be saved. May we never lose that message. He came to die for sinners. And all that would come to him, he would save. Paul's profound gratitude. Look with me at verse number 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The problem with the false doctrine that was taught at Ephesus was they were unqualified, unknowing teachers. Uh, you remember that? They desired their platform. Back to verse number 7, desired to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. They were undeserving of the position they wanted to hold. They asked for it. 
They demanded it, if you will. They were undeserving of it. Paul gives us that in verse number 7. There's a difference in someone that's in it for themselves when it comes to ministry and those who are in it for Christ's sake. There will always be a humility and a gratitude. Um, I didn't field a whole lot. I did field some questions today, not anything major. I did talk to a couple of preachers, one inside the area, one outside the area, no major anything going on in their lives. But uh, I was thinking on this very, this very verse today. I could call their names. You know both of them. Neither of them, the preachers that I spoke to today, the one here in the area and the one outside the area, neither of them see themselves as deserving of the call of God on their lives. Nobody does. Nobody does. When we go to elect our deacons, we do that in October of each year. Should we need to ordain, have an ordination service, we'll continue to do that in November. A man that would politic for the office don't need it. He don't need it. A man that qualifies himself is a man that's already doing the work. The Bible says, first let them be proved. Let them first be proved. Let them already be somebody that's doing the work. Um, someone that is called of the Lord is continually unaware or, or realizing their uh, utter unworthiness. Again, the verse says, this is the Apostle Paul, by the way, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Notice Paul's gratitude for his life. Um, if you read that verse over and again, you, you note his spirit, his disposition, his attitude of Christ's call upon his life. Um, we have ample evidence in the Word of God that's true of anyone that serves Christ, right? Right? He never gets over the bigness of God, the smallness of self. We're unworthy of the air we breathe. Um, isn't it amazing how God has afforded us life? I'm talking about Paul's appreciation, his gratitude for life. Lost people. I know some lost people that will say, I thank God for his blessings on me. You ever thought about you walk out into your yard? And if the whole 8 billion of the population that inhabits planet Earth walks out, there's no less for me. It's all out there for me. If a billion of them go back in, that doesn't give me any more. God lets me enjoy his riches that he's bestowed in this walk of life. Every morning, we were to come out of the bed with a grateful heart. I've said it until I sound like a broken record, but you'll remember it. When I'm dead and gone, you'll remember it. Every day ought to be Thanksgiving Day. God owes us nothing. But for the servant of Christ, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for money. He said, not for filthy lucre, um, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And they, then we are admonished through Christ's own testimony. You remember what Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 5 and following? He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, 
being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Uh, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Since Paul's been saved and called into the ministry, he uses the phrase there in verse number 12, put into the ministry. He doesn't know anything else. He doesn't know anything else except ministry. He doesn't know anything else. You say, well, he couldn't do anything else. He was a tent maker. That was in demand. He could do something else. But he knew nothing else. I want you to hold your place in First Timothy. Let me show you, if I may, go back to Second Corinthians Notice Paul and the ministry and the way he was treated in ministry. Notice this with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians, three places. First of all, in chapter number 4, verse 7 through 12. Watch what he says. He says about all of us in ministry. He says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, a piece of common pottery. He says, that's all I am, a piece of common pottery. He says, but we have this treasure... Um, what Christ has done in us and through us, it's in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Why did God choose a David? Why did he choose somebody? Why did he choose a David? I'll tell you why he chose a David. When victory was found, the praise of it all, he passed it right on where it went, right where it belonged. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. Uh, we don't need our egos stroked. He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Watch what he writes here. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Watch this. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. He says, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verses 3 through 11. We like to glory in what Paul wrote in verse number 1 of 2 Corinthians 6. Um, uh, what, what privilege we are afforded, where the Bible says here, we... Then as workers together with him. We then as workers together with him. Working with God. Beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. And we're also told not to frustrate the grace of God. Now watch verses 3 uh, down through uh, verse number 11. Watch what he writes. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. In much patience. In afflictions, in necessities, that means when you went to bed warm and full, he laid awake cold and hungry. When you had plenty of clothing for your back, he did without. That's what that means, necessities. He says in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor. 
Sometimes somebody will say, I run into somebody that knows you. And I'll think, uh-oh, depends on which crowd they're talking, uh, talking to, right? He says, by honor and dishonor, that's what that means. By evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. He says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Now go with me to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to make one statement reading these three passages, these three catalogs of Paul's sufferings. Just I'm reading these to make one statement. Now you remember in, at uh, Corinth when he wrote 2 Corinthians, there were those that um, questioned his apostleship, questioned whether or not he was real, genuine, the genuine article. And so once he finds out through Titus in chapter number 7 that they have received his word and they are remorseful for how they've treated him, he then exposes the false teachers. Watch this, verse 21, 22. I speak as concerning reproach, as though I had been weak, howbeit whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. In other words, he says, I don't even want to speak of myself. Don't even want to give testimony to myself. And he asked about them, are they Hebrews? He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? He says, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? He says, so am I. And then he says, or he asks, are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. He never likes speaking of himself. He says, I am more. Now listen to the catalog. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own people. You see that? He says, in perils by my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen, folk that didn't know any better. He says, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. He said, I've been tired and I've hurt. He says, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. He said, lay that category of it all aside, those physical sufferings. Verse number 28, he said, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, here's what I'm saying. You go back to our text in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 12. He's thankful for his life. He wouldn't trade his life for your life. Though he has suffered all he has suffered. He's been despised and rejected as has our Lord. And yet he wouldn't trade places with any of you nor with me. He goes right back to doing. You remember he was stoned in Lystra, Timothy's hometown. It's just the grace of God. Timothy yielded himself to the ministry, isn't it? Knowing and watching how Paul had been treated. He knows all about it, friend. And he follows in the footsteps of Paul. You would think he would have got enough, wouldn't you? You'd have thought he would have got enough and quit somewhere. A couple of times over these uh, 11 and a half years of my being here, I've told about the missionary 
at Mayfield Creek Baptist Church in Mayfield, Kentucky back in 94. Brother Mike Robbins was the pastor. He's in eternity, has been for a number of years now. Uh, a couple of us went up to hear Brother Mays Jackson. And um, there was a missionary that told about the village that he ministered in, how that it was ransacked and robbed and pilfered, stolen, items stolen, people were killed. The missionary and his wife had two daughters, two teenage daughters. They were stripped of their clothing, made to lay face down uh, in their home. They knew the next thing would be after pilfering through all their belongings was taking their life. They believe it's only the grace of God that spared their lives. The most of the village was slaughtered. He shared his testimony in brokenness. His wife was there. His two daughters were there. He was going to step this way from the pulpit. And Brother Mike said, Dear Brother, come back if you will. Tell everyone where you're headed in September. This was the July the 4th Jubilee. Camp meeting type meeting. He said, We're headed back to South America. It's what God put in them. That was home. I've told you on a couple of occasions where we took Brother Ken Trivet to, Trivet to Tupelo to eat lunch one day. Brother David Barnett went with us. We asked him a thousand questions. We were pulling into the parking lot to let him go back to the room out of here. Brother David would go home. And so Brother David said to him, he said, I'm just sure you're looking forward to the day when you can come back south. He said, we may come back south, but he said, as of now, he said, the Lakota Sioux are our people. They're our family. Um, they're men in the call. As a matter of fact, that last portion of 2 Corinthians, what divides the real from the unreal is when the heat gets turned up, the unreal runs. They resign and leave. They can't take the peers and the jeers. And they leave. They leave the work and they leave the people. Paul gives us a catalog of what he's been through. And he said you can tell the genuine from the non-genuine when the heat gets turned up. You'll be able to tell when the money's gone. And when the feelings are hot. See who keeps their feet to the fire. Stacy Lane and I preach in a few meetings a year. I'd love to get him in our Bible conference. God just hadn't given liberty. started just to drive down a couple years ago. Some of you know him. The Chapmans have known him for years. He is a preacher back when y'all used to hear him in Florida. You talk about a preacher. You talk about a preacher's preacher. His message for years was the Spirit of God. If you want to know something about the workings of the Spirit of God and what the Bible has to say in the New Testament and in the Old about the Spirit of God, talk to Brother Stacy Lane, Pastor Solid Rock Baptist Church in Morganton, North Carolina. But these last three to four years, his message is the gospel. Friday night of the last meeting, we were together back in November, the first full week of November, I thank the pastor and his wife. I thank the church, as I always do these past years. Try to do that the last night of any meeting. Their hospitality. And I spoke of what an honor it was to preach with Brother Stacy again. I said something about his character. I said, you cut him, and he bleeds the gospel. You can't hold a gun on him and change his mind about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
You can't hold a gun on Paul and change his mind about what God's called him to do. He's convinced of it. A man should be convinced of his calling if there be one on his life. Paul's gratitude for his life, Christ's calling upon his life. Look at verse number 12 again. We'll try to get through this verse and we'll stop. I felt like this would be about where we'd get. Verse number 12, again, Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul writes of his being in the ministry, not as the choosing of a vocation, but a calling of God. It's not a choosing of ministry. It has to be a calling of God, or a man will be out. You remember what God said to Jeremiah, and he pinned it down himself. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Now this verse on the Sanctity of Life Sunday that many Baptist churches celebrate every year, this is the verse preached in most of those churches. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. That's what God said to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah could say, God called me. So could Paul. Look back at verse 12. Watch the word or the personal pronoun me used three times. Watch what he says here in verse number 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Jeremiah could say, God called me, and so does Paul here. Now notice what Paul writes concerning Christ's call upon his life. He says, he says he enabled me first. Then he says he counted me, and then he said he put me. He put me. He enabled me. He hath enabled me, verse number 12. Here he speaks of the great ability of God. Um, this word enabled, it means empowered. He has empowered me. It means strengthened. He's saying he hath strengthened me. He's made me strong. Paul, how'd you hold up through all that? Well, it was what he did for me, not what I did for him. He strengthened me. Bob Sanders said this about uh, this particular phrase. He said, while the servant of God may not be able to do everything he wants to, that servant will be more than able to do all that God has called him to do. I love that. He may not be able to do all he wants to do, but he will be able to do what God has called him to do. Somebody said a long, long time ago, where God guides, he also provides. And that's what Paul is saying. He hath enabled me. Speaks of the great ability of God in his life. Verse number 12, not only hath he enabled me, he counted me faithful. It says something to the authority of the call. It does not come from Paul, but it comes from God. The Bible says here, he counted me faithful. He deemed me trustworthy. He marked it to my account. Isn't that amazing? I think all of us, I think Brother Hunter, Brother Troy, Brother Ronnie, we all could testify, could we not? One of the things we struggled with regarding the call to preach was our inabilities, our unfaithfulness. But he counted Paul faithful, and he does anybody he calls into the ministry. This word count means to lead, means to deem, means to judge. He judged me faithful. He deemed me faithful. Notice with me 
where he says in verse number 12 as well, he put me, he says in verse number 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, placing me into the ministry, ordaining me for the ministry, appointing me to the ministry. And uh, look, let me give you three or four minutes. I asked these guys to stop by eight. I'll stop by eight. Look at verse number 14. There is, uh, there is uh, God's call upon Paul's life. There's Paul's profound gratitude. Then in verse number 14, there's, there's Christ's abundant grace. Watch it, verse number 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's salvation is brought into focus here. Notice his salvation is full and complete. He says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, accompanied with faith and love. With faith and love, he says, which is in Christ Jesus, exceeding abundant. Uh, one dear man said this in his writings I was reading after. Nowhere does this verb appear in secular Greek or in Scripture. Paul seems to be coining a word to express what had never been expressed before. Exceeding abundant, superabundant. Can you testify to that tonight? I have no complaints. God's grace has not just been abundant. It's been super abundant. It's exceeded anything I could ask or think. When I go to him in prayer and ask him for strength, it's always enough and plenty. Always. Exceeding abundant. Of course, the emphasis is here where even sin abounded, grace overflowed the more. Makes us think of Romans 5.20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It was the exceeding grace of our Lord that produced the faith and love in Paul's heart and life. It's all that can come from the grace of God, isn't it? For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You can't help it. Have you ever heard someone speak of getting the can't help it? You can't help it, can you? You didn't know all you was getting when you got saved, did you? That's just part of the journey. I see some of you with a smile on your face. You had no idea. I was like Vance Havner when God saved me. I didn't know anything. I didn't even suspect anything. It's supposed to wore, out, wore off in about six months. Some years ago, if I could have quit, my wife knows I'm telling you the truth. I would have. I felt to be a hindrance. And every time I tried to lay the towel down, somebody would come along and pick the towel up and throw it right back in my face. And God would say, there's no quitting place. And that call would override. Say something else I haven't said in a long time. When I was first saved, the manipulation boys would come through preaching revival. And they'd say things like this. If when you say you were saved, you didn't say this or you didn't do that, or you didn't respond at that time, then you didn't get saved. If you're 99% sure that you're saved, then you must be 100% lost. They'd say things like that early. I'm not talking about a year after I was saved. I'm talking about very early on in those months right after I was saved. And because of that, I did question, is it genuine in my life? Is that real? Of course, the further you go with Christ, the more you learn of him and his word, the more uh, settled your conviction is that the word of God's right. 
It ain't about what you said and what you did. It's when you came to Christ, what Christ has done for you. It's Christ's work. It's not yours. The only thing you contributed to your salvation is your sin. It's the only thing you contributed to it was your sin. And I did early on those first few months struggle with some things. I worked with people that were Assemblies of God and Church of Christ and Jehovah's Witnesses and everybody else. And everybody had their own mode of salvation. It kept sending me back to the well of the Word of God. Kept sending me back. So I confess I did have question marks. But I'm going to tell you something I've never questioned. It's my call to preach. I'd have never done it. I didn't want to do it. I resisted. I encouraged young men. Did right over here not too long ago. Encouraged a man if he could do any, if by any means he could forget it and go on, do anything else in the church, do it. And I didn't explain to him why. If man can talk you out of it, you don't need to be in it. But now if God talks you in it, into it, you can do it. You will do it or die. I'm convinced of it. So I've got three minutes. Paul's salvation was full and complete. The indwelling Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit has all of him. All of him. All of it. There was a fullness, a completeness, a wholeness found in Christ's salvation. Here's what I want to say. Rest, child of God. Rest. Rest in Christ. The work is complete. It's finished. It's whole. So much so, when you were saved, you were brought in in full standing, not one whit behind the Apostle Paul. That's the kind of salvation that's been afforded you and I. That ought to make a Lutheran want to shout. And we'll pick up here next week, but um, Paul's salvation will stand in contrast to what had been taught by those false teachers at Ephesus. Of course, you can go back to verses 7 through 10 of this chapter. And you'll, uh, you'll find where what he says about his salvation is in stark contrast to what the false teachers were teaching. Let's stand. We'll dismiss. Thank you for being here. Pray for those who are sick, those who are struggling in any manner. Brother Hunter, would you dismiss us in, in prayer, please? Let me say something about the law and the gospel. The work of the law is preparatory for the gospel. I said this recently. I don't remember if it was a Sunday. I've said it some in the fall out preaching about. I don't know that Brother Charlie even thought about much what he was doing, but a lot of times he'd run me by Mount Sinai. And I'd be reminded of how needy I was of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's the preparatory work of the law to show us that we are sinners, that we have violated the commandments of God, that we have offended a holy God, that we've trespassed, we've missed the mark. Galatians 3, verses 24 and 25, listen to this. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The law was given to show us not only our sin, but the sinfulness of our sin. 
James would write in James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all of it. He's guilty of all. All of it. What was given on side, we're guilty of all of it. All ten of it. It's not just the sins of the Jews that put Christ on the cross, or the sins of the Roman government. Not just the sins of those that spat upon him, beat him about his head, and administered the soldier that would administer the beating of the cat of the nine tails, but everybody in this building tonight, we put him there. We put him there. The sinfulness of our sin. The law was never given as a means of salvation. Brother Larry Winkler, I've quoted him before on this. He speaks of the four black nuns in Romans 3, not N-U-N-S, connected with a... um, Catholic uh, connections, but N-O-N-E. Listen to them. They're found in three verses. Romans 3, verse 10, 11, and 12. Listen to them. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. The law is not given. To restrain the righteous man. But for, we were given that. And the law is also given to show us our sin and sinfulness. The work of the law is preparatory for the gospel. And it works in harmony with the gospel, does it not? There's no contradictions between the two. Not on your life. The law has been written in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we are saved. What the law requires, the gospel does too. And even more. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time. Repeatedly he said that in Matthew 5 and in Matthew chapter number 6. The gospel doesn't tolerate any sin any more than the law does. Again, Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Look back at verse 11. I'll make three statements. I'm done. There's a storm to be weathered. There's a flock to be fed. There's a gospel to be preached. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Did you see the splendor of the gospel there? Did you see what the Bible said? According to the glorious gospel. These fellows that preach in backwoods churches and they take the gospel with them when they go to church. These people that fly internationally to go preach the gospel on the mission fields, whoever they be, what precious cargo they bear with them when they go. The glorious gospel, the gospel of the glory of God. Notice the source of it, according to the glorious gospel, watch this, of the blessed God. You know what the word blessed means? It speaks of a settledness, it speaks of a tranquility, it speaks of being supremely blessed, and it literally means to be happy, or happy, happy, or you could express express it, oh, how happy. Now watch it again. According to the glorious gospel of our happy God, our happy, 
happy God. Listen to what Guy King said about that, and I'll give you our last thought. The glorious gospel, this gospel of glory, comes indeed out of an environment of joy, out of the happy heart of God. God is delighted to save sinners. We may get happy about it and shout about it, but I'm convinced he's more happy about the whole situation than anybody is. He sent his son out for that purpose into this world. The splendor of the gospel, the source of it, and then the stewardship of the gospel. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, watch this, which was committed to my trust. Thank God for the gospel. Let's stand with this miss in prayer. Thank you for your attention and thank you for being here tonight.